If you've just shown up over the last couple weeks, you have no idea who I am, and you haven't missed a thing. My name is Chuck, and uh, they let me be the pastor around here, and I love this church. I love our community. I love our schools. I love our city. Man, I love our mayor and all that he's doing. Um, I love our principals, and uh, man, I love our staff team. I'm, I'm so grateful for them. I, uh, I want to encourage you to do what Pastor Bobby talked about. When uh, we, we sent a, sh a small team to Uvalde last week, and um, so just a little more background on this school and the folks we're helping. You might, you might be thinking, well, you know, they're probably not that poor. I mean, this is in America, right? Well, I read the report, the final report that the Texas Department of Safety released regarding the shooting at Uvalde, Texas. And there's enough blame to point everywhere, y'all. I mean, you, you, you just throw a dart and you can blame wherever it lands, okay? But can I just tell you, after reading that report a couple of times, here's, here's my true assessment of what happened in Uvalde, Texas. It is a dirt poor Hispanic community that nobody gives a flip about. That's what happened. And nobody cared about it until children got killed. Can I just stop and say to you, Sugar Hill Church, let's love on those families. Because those folks are going to have a Christmas like they've never had to have before. And um, we'll take care of our kids, I promise you. Y'all will show up for that. I know you will. But let's get these kids taken care of. Uh, we got a team going out there the uh, end of November, 1st of December. And if you can join us, we'd love for you too. But it's, a, uh, it's an incredible opportunity to share the love of Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for worship and the joy of offering praise up to the one that is worthy. Lord, thank you for, uh, for Zach and this team, for how they lead us so well week after week. God, I want to thank you for folks watching online and for folks that are in the room today. And I pray, God, today we would meet you face-to-face -face and we'd come to know you and love you more and we'd come even closer to understanding our purpose in this life through this time as we talk about the thing that matters most, which is you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and everyone said, amen. We've been on the, in this book of Joshua for the past four weeks. And we've covered a lot of ground. We've entitled the series Grit. Now, we started the series off with... Uh, this concept that uh, Joshua's message to the people of Israel was that you got to be of good courage, you got to be strong. Now, the reason he was saying that was because the people had left being in bondage to the Egyptians. God had parted the Red Sea. They've wandered with Moses for 40 years in the wilderness. Now they're on the edge of a raging Jordan River, and across the river is Canaan and the land promised to them by Abraham. And God had promised Abraham that this promised land would be theirs. And so they walk across the Jordan, and when they step into the water with the Ark of the Covenant, God stops the water. They walk across in dry ground, and then the quest begins. But like all things when it comes to following God's will, God's will is rarely like running water. It rarely follows the path of least resistance. God never promised us that when we choose to trust and love him, that it's going to be easy. He just simply promises that the victory is ours. Are you with me? 
And so the people of Israel are beginning to understand that this conquest isn't going to be easy. So as Pastor Bobby reminded us, they had to walk around Jericho. And Jenny and I saw that city while we were in Israel. And they walked around and on that seventh time, what happened? The walls collapsed. We know that prior to that conquest, we know that the spies had gone into the land. They met Rahab. Rahab left that crimson colored rope outside to understand that God would save her and the trials and the tribulations continue. You know, over the, over the past several days, Jenny and I, we left Atlanta and we flew through Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris, then on to Tel Aviv, and we spent uh, several days in, in Israel. If you've never been in Israel, first let me just say to you, every believer, if at all possible, needs to find a way to get to Israel in their lifetime. It, it takes the New Testament and the Old Testament from black ink on white pages into radical 4K. I mean, it's just like, wow, that's how that happened. Wow, that's where that happened. When you walk onto the Mount of Olives and you look over the city of Jerusalem and you begin to understand all that happened there, you walk across the street from the Mount of Olives just down the hill into the Garden of Gethsemane and you begin to realize what all was going on there. Fellas, couldn't you stay awake? And Jesus sweating drops of blood. When you, when you stop in Megiddo and you're standing inside of the structure that was built in the first century and we verify and know that Jesus preached and read from the script right there and we can see the indentations in the rock where, where the scrolls were read and literally the road in front of that is the road to Damascus. When you stand in the shepherd's fields and know that this is where the shepherd said, don't fear, I got good news for you. Where Ruth and Boaz had their thing going on, where David was anointed and where people would stop on the way to Jerusalem and pick up their offering, their, their sacrifice from those shepherd's fields. And then as they would head into Jerusalem, they would walk up these stairs all the way to the temple. And as they would walk up to these stairs, the scriptures say that they would sing what's called Psalms of Ascent, Songs of Ascent. When you look in the scriptures, you'll find these passages in the book of Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. And those Psalms of Ascent were literally the songs that people sang as they would carry their sacrifice up to the temple for any of the holy days. And I can remember vividly sitting on those stairs just the other day. And I, I, I pulled up the words from the song that we sang Highlands. And if you notice that in that song, there is one line that says, this is my song of ascent. And I began to sing that song alone by myself just standing or just sitting there on those steps. I began to think of the millions of people who had walked over those steps singing the Psalms of Ascent on the way to offer a sacrifice. And I sat there and I began singing. And the more I sang, the more I began to have a moment with the Lord. I don't know if you've ever had a moment with the Lord, but you know, to have a moment with the Lord, you got to be present with the Lord. Are you with me? And you got to be willing to let the Lord be fully present with you. And I sat there and I began to sing and I began to raise my hands and I began to sing a little bit louder. And I began to think to myself, I'm sitting here, but I don't have to carry 
anything up to the temple to sacrifice because Jesus nailed it down for me. I don't need a animal. I have the sacrifice of the unspotted, perfect lamb of God who gave his life that I don't have to give. I stood moments, feet away at the, at the hill of Golgotha and saw where Jesus was killed. Dead as dead could be. You know, we live in a world today where people's like, you know, I, Chuck, I, just, I just don't feel comfortable sharing my faith publicly. Now, while I was there, I learned a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word, for, you may want to write this down. This, this will help you. Grab your pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara. You may want to jot this down. The Hebrew word for that is sissy. <laughs> you are a spiritual sissy. It's deep Hebrew right there. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus saying to God the Father, you know, I'll die for these folks, but you know, I don't want to do it in public. I don't want to die at this crossroads where people can spit at me and hurl insults at me and throw things at me. By the way, did you know that at the base of the hill of Golgotha called Calvary today is an Arab bus terminal? Tell me the world hasn't changed. But here's the good news. We left where Golgotha was and turned and walked less than the distance of a football field and stepped into an empty grave. And here's the good news. It's still empty. Yeah, yeah praise God. Let me just say to you, after seeing all of that, man, I don't know how you come back without being fired up. We stood in Shiloh where Joshua gathered together and he set up the first permanent structure of a tabernacle. And he gathered the people of Israel together and that's where he divided it into the tribes of Israel. And the people were like, why should we do this, Joshua? And the answer was, well, I, you need to do this because we need to occupy this land that God has given us. And they began to spread out and move and Joshua settled in there. We left Israel and we headed to Rome. And we spent just a few days in Rome and today I'd like to conclude our series entitled Grit by connecting some dots from the banks of the Jordan River to the promised land onto the once mighty Roman Empire and finally back to America here, which by the way, in my humble but accurate opinion, is still the greatest nation on earth. I, somebody agreed. And if you don't believe me, eat falafel for 11 days and then come home and ask yourself, do you not want a sausage biscuit? <laughs> I mean, yes, yesterday morning, Jenny and I got home Friday night. And yesterday morning, she said, what do you want for breakfast? And that is biscuits and gravy, bless God, <laughs> right? There have been, according to most historians, some 23 great empires of the world. One of them, the British Empire, was made up of 3 million, 13 million square miles of land, more than 22% of the Earth's landmass. In 1922, the empire had a population of 458 million people, or about 20% of the global population. At the time of Jesus' time on Earth, it was the Roman Empire. It was among the largest empires in the ancient world, with an estimated 50 to 90 million inhabitants, roughly 20% of the world's population at the time, and it covered around 5 million million square kilometers. All of these empires, 
all of them, made this tiny little band of Israelites seem like a blip on the screen of humanity when just under three million entered into the promised land. But friends, they're still there. I, I, ju I just came, they're still there. Now, they may have missed the Messiah, but they're still there. They're still there. It's been said that uh, when you read the book of Joshua, if you miss this one story, you miss the whole book. And the one story is that Joshua constantly did one thing that made the difference in their victory. And you know what it was? He constantly, never endingly, repeatedly gave God the glory for all that happened. When I, when I look at this great land of ours, I wonder if we're headed toward the world of ruins like I, what I saw of the Roman Empire because we are failing to give God the glory that he is due because we are so concerned with our wealth, our power, our way, our rights that we have totally forgotten that it is God's way, not my way, and the only way that we're going to succeed is his way. By the way, this is not political, y'all. This is spiritual. I, do I think America has got educational problems? Yep. Do I think it's got political problems? Absolutely. Do I think it's got corruption problems? You know it does. Listen, I think we've got all kinds of problems, but the number one problem in America is that we have a spiritual problem. We have a spiritual problem, but, but let, let me stop and just say, be clear here. If we're not careful, we Christians, people who claim Jesus is Lord, We'll hear a statement like that and we'll think, yeah, that's about those lost pagan people out there. That's not the problem. The problem's us. We're the problem. I'm the problem. You're the problem. You say, well, Chuck, no, I, I come to this church once every month. Good for you. The problem isn't whether you come to church or not. The problem is, do you do anything to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul? Do you do anything? I mean, some of us are living such counterfeit Christianity and some of us are living such camouflage Christianity, nobody even knows what we are. Nobody even knows what we stand for. Well, Chuck, you, do you know where I work? I, I, there's no really for that kind of thing. In the first service, so Jenny, my my forever encourager, she said, just one thing. She said, you, you had a Biden moment. I've, I've heard a lot of things about me, but I've never heard that one. And I said, what'd I do? She said, you said, there's only one word for this. And then you gave a five word example. <laughs> I couldn't do anything but laugh because I knew she was right. You know, the problem that we have is just one word. You ready? Backbone. We've lost our spiritual backbone. We're scared to death to utter the things of God because we're fearful we're going to offend some people. I read this week that 48% of millennials in America, believers, Christians, are afraid to share Jesus with anybody for fear that they're going to offend someone. Now, listen, I, I am not the smartest guy in the room, okay? Okay. I mean, you pick any room, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. You pick me all by myself, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. But what I do know is this. If you're so worried about offending somebody, you're willing to let them die without God and live in hell forever? I mean, talk about offensive. You don't care enough for that person 
to share with them the life-changing message of Jesus because you're worried about offending them? I guess the first question I'd ask you is this. Do you know for sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven? Chuck, we're, not, we're never letting you go overseas again. It's been said that a leader is somebody who takes twice as much blame and half as much credit. And that was Joshua. I mean, that was Joshua. On, on every great empire of the planet, y'all, they all fell to this one thing, pride. They all fell to pride. When I look at the history of the Roman Empire, I mean, we're standing there in Rome, it's all in ruins. I mean, people are gawking about ruins. We, we marvel at the, at the Colosseum, and it is pretty amazing. With, with forgetting that the fact that this is the same Roman Empire that built that Colosseum with what they stole from the Jews in Jerusalem and used that money to build that thing to honor themselves. And yet, we love their ruins. You know why? Ruins don't offend anybody. But when you come face to face with your own sin, that's offensive. Can I just say to you, I'm pretty stinking offensive when I look in the mirror and think, Chuck, you're the one that nailed Jesus to that cross. It wasn't the Romans. It wasn't the Jews. You're the one that nailed Jesus to that cross. It's your sin that put him on that cross. It's your sin that caused him to have to give his life. It's your sin that caused him to bleed away. And some of you are saying, you doggone right, Chuck. It was you. Well, let me share the blessing with you. It was you too. And here's the good news. If you'd been the only one, he'd still done it for you. Crossing the Jordan and entering the land, friend, listen, I did a funeral yesterday, and I'm reminded that oftentimes we sing songs about we're going to cross the river and enter the land like it's some type of glorious picture. This is not a picture of dying and go to heaven. This is a picture of dying to self and the old life and entering our spiritual inheritance here and now. It is about enjoying the fullness of God's blessing as we serve the Lord and glorify him. But watch this. You do not get the blessing without the repentance of sin. You don't get the blessing without the honoring of God. You don't get the honoring of God until you choose to obey the word of God. And you don't get it right until you worship the God of the word. Are you with me? And so we see this story happening, and the greatest need in America today is for God's people to see that we're still wandering in unbelief and living on the borderline of blessing, and then we want to claim God's promises and enter into our spiritual inheritance without one time saying, but what does God think? At the close of his life, Joshua was able to say to his people that not one thing had failed in God's plan. But of all the good things that the Lord their God spoke concerning them, he heeded this warning in Joshua 23, verse 14. In Joshua 23, verse 14, the scripture says, Soon I will die, this is Joshua, going the way of everything on earth. You know what he's saying? There is a 100% death rate. We are all going to die short of Jesus coming back. Now, as for me, come Lord Jesus, I'm ready to roll, right? I think it'd be awesome simply to go to heaven and not watch another political commercial. 
He goes on and says, deep in your hearts, you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed, but as surely as the Lord your God has given you the good things he promised, he will also bring disaster on you if you disobey him. He will completely destroy you from this good land that he has given you. If you go up to verses 1 and 3 in chapter 23, it says, The years passed, and the Lord had given the people of Israel rest from all their enemies. Joshua, who now was very old, called together all the elders, leaders, judges, and officers of Israel. He said to them, I am now a very old man. You have seen everything the Lord your God has done for you during my lifetime. The Lord your God has fought for you against your enemies. Friend, listen, you know what Joshua is saying, and here's what I'm saying to you today. Our God never fails. We constantly fail him, but that doesn't change the fact that he never fails. In every promise he had given, he was faithful. And to this day, every promise he has given, he has been faithful. And every promise he has given, tomorrow he will be faithful. A year from now, if he tarries, he will be faithful. The question is, are we going to trust this ever-evolving humanity, or are we going to trust the one constant in the world, God himself? And I would just look at you and say, God was gracious to delay his judgment for centuries before bringing Israel into the land. He was gracious to send the reports about Israel into the land so that the people could fear and like Rahab, turn to the Lord. He was gracious to wipe out the filthy paganism of the Canaanites so that Jewish boys and Jewish girls could grow up in a land where Jehovah was honored and worshiped. And I wonder how long he'll give us. Because it, it doesn't take long to read the news or hear the news or watch the news to look at what's happening in the world today and think to yourself, surely God's sick and tired of this, isn't he? Surely he's tired of this. You say, well, Chuck, I'm just one person. What can I do? You can do this one thing. Turn your heart to the Lord and trust him with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Well, Chuck, I, don't know. I feel like I need to go do something. Turn your heart to him. Trust him with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. But Chuck, I feel like I, I need to hold a sign. I need to scream at somebody. I need to type a post. Can I give you this thought? Stop it! Turn your heart to him. Trust him with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Let him do what he's always done. When you are faithful, he will fight your battle for you. And when he fights... He's not playing. When he fights, he wins. Do you want to win or not? Listen, America loves a good underdog, don't we? We love a good underdog. But now watch this. What if your underdog won all the time? That's Jesus. I, mean, I don't know about y'all, but I, I love to win. I mean, were you one of those kids that when you lost all the time at a kid, you were like, well, I, I played hard. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Let's all stop giving each other trophies and choose to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, and our soul. Joshua 23, verse 6, be careful to not follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. You say, well, where do I get my hands on this book? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, don't miss that. Do not deviate from it turning either to the right or the left. Make sure you don't associate with other people still remaining in the land. You say, you mean be mean to people? No. Don't take their faith on and try to meld it with yours. 
It's, he's not saying be mean to people. What, what, he's, what he's saying is this. Wherever you go into the land and somebody says, well, I just don't believe like you, you don't have to bash them over the head. You don't have to beat them up. You don't have to make a mean tweet. I mean, the first thing you do is love them, pray for them, encourage them, and share Christ with them. The number one reason why people don't come to a New Testament Bible-believing church is they work with somebody who goes to that church. Because everything we say we believe on Sunday, we're not living out Monday through Friday. And before, before I get out of here, let me get on my hobby horse. We certainly don't live it out on Saturday. Nobody loves the Georgia dogs more than I do. Listen, I love my dogs. Listen, some of y'all love Tennessee for some reason. I'll never understand that, but some of y'all do. I get it. Two of you love tech still. I mean, that's awesome, right? I mean, I, I, there might be people here still love Auburn. I know one dude over there does. But I'm, I, I know, listen, did you hear that? Some dude in church scored War Eagle. I mean, talk about offensive. I mean, come on. But now watch this. Hear me. You ready? Look right, come, up, come right up here. Just don't lean in just a little bit. You ready? How dare us bark like fools on Saturday and never utter the name of Jesus Monday through Friday? God help us that we've chosen to worship a pigskin more than the God who made the pig. You say, Chuck, you have crossed the line now. I'd say you have. If you're willing to bark, but you're not willing to tell people about Jesus, let me ask you this question. This is all I got for you. Ready? Are you sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven? You? Because I'll promise you, the Holy Spirit doesn't mind if you bark like a fool. But if you're willing to bark like a dog but not share Jesus, my question is, have you squelched the Holy Spirit so much that you think God is honored by your football talk because you won't talk about God? And now I know you're not letting me out of the country again. Back to verses 4 and 5, we read these words. Joshua 23 says, you have seen everything the Lord has done, remember? The Lord your God has fought for you. I've allotted you as your homeland all the land of the nations, yet unconquered as well as the land of those who are already conquered from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. This brings up two quick points. You ready? Those pagan nations were God's enemies, and therefore they had to be Israel's enemies. What is the message for us? We are not enemies with people. We are enemies with Satan. But when we see Satan taking over this land, we better get on the offensive or he will take it. You say, well, Chuck, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go out there and I'm, I'm going to get a bullhorn and I'm going to stand over there and I'm going to scream that people are going to hell. I'm begging you don't do that because ain't nobody listening to that dude. Right? Matter of fact, when I walk by him, I think, you are killing my job here, bro. Here's what you can do. You can go share your faith in Jesus. Hey, Chuck, I, I don't know how to do that. I've never done that. Don't know how to do that. Okay, I'm going to make this easy. Ready? It's one, two, three. One, you could say to somebody, hey, I'd love it if you came and sat with me at church. Chuck, that doesn't sound like sharing your faith. Well, based on how few of you do that, I would say it's a huge step forward. N number two, what you could do is say, hey, 
my family and I, we're going to pray before we call it quits today. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And the third one could actually be the next time you hear somebody say, oh, my God, you could say, what, do you, what about him? Now, if you want to have people in an elevator freak out, just let somebody come run on the elevator, running late, going, oh, my God, and say, what about him? It will get freaky in the elevator. But start simple, y'all. Just, I promise you, God will honor it if you'll just take a step toward him. It's a good reminder to us. Joshua 23, 3 says, the Lord your God has fought for you. Listen, friend, the secret to Joshua's success and therefore the reason for Israel's victories was his devotion to God and their following God. Let us be a people that say we've had enough of this foolishness and we're going to choose to follow God. Now, you could say, you know, Chuck, you go get them. You go, those people out there, you go get them. I'm not worried about those people. I'm worried about y'all. I'm not worried about people that are lost. They're lost. They're acting like lost people. Of course they're going to They're lost. I'm worried about us camouflaged Christians in here that have so wrapped ourselves up in a cocoon that nobody knows what we believe or why we believe it. And we've taken on a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and we've melded it all into a faith that says, you know, Oprah, you're right. We're all on this mountain together, and at some point, we're just going to arrive at the same location. Here's the problem with that. Oprah, believe it or not, is wrong, and God is right. Now, it's not often I'm going to say Oprah's wrong. I'm going to burn my man card. I kind of like Oprah. But on this one, she's as wrong as wrong can be. Because you, you're not all going to arrive at the same place. You, at some point, you've you got to make a choice. You see, some of the people in this is, is, Israelite camp, they had taken on a little bit of Canaanite faith, and some of them had taken on a little Egyptian faith. And, and before long, they just didn't know what to do. And Joshua gives his last words in chapter 24, verse 14. And he says to the people of Israel, and this is his last charge to them, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. Those four words are what we need to engrave on our doorpost, man. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or it will be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live now? And then he makes this statement, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Now, a lot of us have signs that are pretty in our home. I mean, they're just cute, you know. Maybe grandma did the little stitching thing, whatever that's called, you know. Maybe you got one of those gold frame thingies, you know. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we, we take it like it's just a sweet little, we're going to serve the Lord. But watch this. Joshua didn't say it like it was a sweet thing. Joshua is in just literally just going crazy trying to get these people to get this concept. I'm begging you, basically, Joshua is saying. If you keep taking what the world offers and trying to merge it into your faith, you're going to collapse and be like every other faith. You're going to die. If you, if you don't take God as God alone, if you don't put him at the top of the list, you're going to be one more empire that's come and gone and collapsed, and you'll be ruins. 
He says, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We will do it. Will you do it with us? That's what he's saying. Will you do it with us? And my question to you is, will you do it? Chuck, I don't even know how to serve the Lord. Well, it's pretty simple. One, trust Jesus. Honor God. Talk to him every day. Read a little bit of his word. Trust him with everything you have. Chuck, I, that, that sounds pretty simple. God did not make it hard, folks. He really didn't. He didn't make it. You don't have to follow all those rules in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You follow one rule. When, when Jesus was asked, what's, what's the most important rule? You know what he said? Okay, love God. Got it. Love other folks. Mm, put a circle around that one. As you love yourself. Okay, I'm working on that one. What else? That's it. I mean, you don't have to write that one down. You say, well, Chuck, how do I do that? Let me give you these super quick. Number one, be willing to quit straddling the fence. Stop, stop being camouflage Christians. You know, I, I don't, Chuck, I just don't want to rock the boat. I just don't want to rock the boat. Seriously. We're talking about leaving eternity in the hands of people. Of, rock the snot out of it. Go ahead and rock the boat, man. I mean, seriously. We, we live in a world that is totally post-Christian, post-church, post-Jesus. For the first time in human history since we've been counting, we have less than 60% of Americans who claim that they are anywhere close to a Christian. And that number is receding by, by more than 7% a year. Do you know what the number one fastest growing part of, 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 of our population is? The people who claim no affiliation to any faith whatsoever. And you know why? Because we Christians keep straddling the fence and they have no example of what God's doing in our life because we've lost all power, all strength, all courage, and we've become total sissy pants when it comes to our Christianity. Second, be willing to find your own convictions instead of being pushed around by the world's wishes. I want to be rock solid in my conviction. Where do I find it? Get in the Word. Get in the Word. Well, Chuck, well, you know what? I, I, this book is outdated, then you've never read it. It is as current today as any paper you'll read. It's as current as anything online. It is absolutely living and breathing. Get in the Word. Third, you got to know that a decision to trust Jesus cannot be made lightly. I mean, it's got to count for something. Jesus didn't die on that corner, get buried in a borrowed tomb, push that gravestone away, hang around 50 days preaching and teaching, leave here alive as alive could be, to sit by God the Father today, to pray for you right now, for you to sit on the sidelines and go, I just don't want to rock the boat. Fourth, you got to be willing to go public with your faith and stop playing camouflage Christianity. Well, Chuck, I, you know what? I, that, actually, Chuck, now that I think about it, we pay people like you and Bobby to do that. No, you don't. I'm happy to do it. Bobby's happy to do it. Zach's happy to do it. But according to this book, that's your job. That's your job. You say, but, but Chuck, do you know how busy I am? Apparently busy enough to let the world go to hell. 
Finally, you got to be willing to follow through and obey with all your heart. You say, well, who do I obey? Jesus. What did he say? Love God. Love others as you love yourself. Well, then, Chuck, I can do that. Then it starts with this. Look right here, and I'm done. It goes just like this. Jesus, I know I've made some bad decisions, and I have messed up some of my life. Matter of fact, I've messed up most of it. I know you call that sin. Would you forgive me? Jesus, would you come live inside of me and give me a new life? I don't know how you do it, but would you do it? Jesus, I, I, I'm tired of living my way. I want to live for you. I want to, I want to make a U-turn to my life. I want to live for you. And Jesus, I want to thank you that that tomb that Chuck went and saw, that you were buried in, I want to thank you that you rose from that, that grave and it's still empty on my behalf so that I, I could defeat death too. And I could live and I could honor God with all my heart, my mind, and my soul. And my friend, if that's the prayer for you today, then pray it. You say, Chuck, I, I, I got ADD. I, I, I couldn't keep up with after the first word, Jesus. Okay, now watch me. Look at me. You ready? I'm going to make this so simple for you. Here's the prayer. Jesus, I'm calling on your name. Okay, Chuck, I can say that. Then in your heart right now, say this. Jesus, I'm calling on your name. You say, Chuck, do I have to join your church? Nope. Do I have to give to your church? Nope. Do I have to get baptized? Nope. What do I have to do? Jesus, I'm calling on your name and mean it. Well, Chuck, I'm in. Then welcome to the family of God. The next step you do is follow Jesus in baptism. Why? Jesus told us to. Jesus modeled it for us. And it's how you hang on the cross and tell the world that you're a, you're a Christian. Well, how do I do that? Well, you see this ring? What do you know about me when, I'm on, when I wear this ring? Say it out loud. What do we know about me? I'm married. Now watch this. When I take him off, am I still married? Yeah. All the ring does show you I'm married, right? That's what baptism does. Contrary to popular opinion, it does not wash away your sins. The only thing you do that is Jesus. Follow Jesus in believers' baptism. It's the first step to enjoying the inheritance God has for you. It's that simple. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful that the tomb's still empty. I'm grateful of your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, I'm grateful that there's some people in this room right now who have been camouflaged Christians for so many years, but you've spoken to their heart today. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage them to go live for you and to trust you. But God, I also believe there's some folks online and there's some folks in this room that would say, Chuck, I need that last prayer. Jesus, I'm calling on your name. And friend, if today you'd say, that's my prayer, I want to trust Jesus for my life, I'm not going to ask you to do anything, but just raise your hand right now, wherever you're at in the room, just raise your hand. If today you want to give your life to Christ and settle that, amen. Somebody else? Anybody else? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray we'd be a people that would commit ourselves to love you more, to know you more and discover our purpose in Christ this week. 
In the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord, we pray all these things. Amen, amen, and amen. I know the time's late. I promise you there's a clock right there. I'm looking right at it. Just sing this quick chorus with us. Y'all stand. We'll go. We're going to get up out of something. What do you want to do? Let's just get on the mountain. I love this song. Let's do it. Come on. I will praise you on the mountain. Come on, church. I will praise you in the mountains in my way. You're the summit where my feet are. So I will praise you in the valleys all the same. No less God within the shadows. No less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the grateful for you I trust this week you'll fall in love with Jesus God bless you go in peace